I've spent some time sharing with the church about the love of Jesus. In that time, we began by looking at the love of Jesus in Trinity. If you remember, I was talking about how Jesus was in relationship in Trinity, and therefore, because of that, he was uh, he knew a love that was incredible, an experience of love. And that foundation really is what I wanted to put down at, at, at the start. Jesus knew love. And he wanted, this is where I went the following week, he wants us to know that same love, doesn't he? Yes. He wants us to experience a relationship with God in love with him and Father and Spirit together. That's his heart. That's what drives him. So last time when we were looking at the love of Jesus, we, we looked at the whole issue about how he, he cleared the temple and how that was a, a kind of a picture of his desire to break every barrier that prevents us from getting close to God. <coughs> so today I wanted to move us on and talk about the ultimate expression of the love of Jesus. What would it in your mind be the ultimate expression of the love of Jesus. Jesus. <clears throat> what was that? Jesus. Giving his life. Yes, the cross. The cross is the ultimate expression of the love of Jesus. Could you turn your Bible speech to Romans 5? Romans 5, verse 6 to 11. Now, if you got lazy and didn't bring your Bibles because you thought Tim would have a verse on the screen, now it's going to be a problem. <laughs> uh, chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. Would somebody like to read it so it's not my voice all the time? Six to eleven. Someone actually help me as we go away this day. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners who had no use for him. Even if we were good, we really wouldn't expect anyone to die for us. Though of course that might just be possible. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, while we were still sinners. And since by his blood he did all this for us as sinners, how much more will he do for us now that he has declared us not guilty? Now he will save us from all of God's wrath to come. And since when we were his enemies, we were brought back to God by the death of his Son, what blessings he must have for us now that we are his friends, and he is living with us. Now we rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done. He died for our sins, making us friends of God. I loved your version. I thought that was lovely. It's living. Living, was it? Uh, paraphrase. Yeah, so some, some great words in there. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for all of us. He died. We began this series looking at the love of Jesus by looking at how the love of Jesus was forged in Trinity. This foundation that we have of that love forged in Trinity is something that then drove Jesus 
We looked at a verse when we were looking at it together. It said, the zeal for his house consumed him. He, he has a zeal, a passion. A passion for us. He loves you with indescribable love. Absolutely amazing. We're going to look at that perfect expression of love. Now, a few years ago, you'll remember that Mel Gibson um, produced a film called The Passion of the Christ. If you haven't seen it, I wouldn't recommend it. Now, it's all going to say, what, Tim? That talked about Jesus on the cross, surely. I wouldn't recommend it. It was horrendous, to be honest, in both execution and in what it portrayed. Uh, that's a personal view. If you found it helpful, uplifting, that's fine. But you see, for me, the detail of a Roman crucifixion. Is there anybody in here who does not know how a person was crucified on a cross? We all do. It is the worst imaginable pain and suffering. It is the most indescribable thing to do to a human being. And it's even more horrendous that people are still doing it in the 21st century. That people are being crucified for their faith in Jesus even today. So the, the facts of Jesus' death are clear. What struck me was that there may be some things about that death that we might not have taken clearly on board. So I wanted to visit that today. We know why Jesus came. He came to destroy the works of the evil one. He stood up in the temple on uh, one occasion and he said, the thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life. Life in abundance. Abundant life. And he always seemed to connect the idea of life. If you look through the Gospels, he connected the idea of life to the idea of relationship. Relationship with God. That's for a study for another time. But go with me, please, and we'll just think a bit more about that. He had a very clear idea about life to the full as being part of a relationship with God. He wanted you and you and you, all of you, to have a relationship with God. And if you sit there this morning, you think to yourself, what's my relationship with God like? I promise you, any deficiencies on, in that relationship with God are not at his end. Okay? He cannot have ever do more than he has already done. I wanted us to grasp the love of Jesus on the cross. And I've already said I'm not going to use this physical pain of his death. So what am I going to talk about? I want us to use three analogies, really, three, a, a, a picture. Forgive me, it's a bit of a cliche, but I'm going to take three nails. I need to imagine I'm holding three nails. First nail of the suffering of Christ on the cross. He was betrayed. The first thing I want to talk about is betrayal. And you say, ah, that's not a physical... No, it isn't. But it's part of what Christ went through 
for it for us. You see, it, it, Jesus said, uh, or uh, yes, he said that uh, uh, greater love no man than this to be laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends, he said. Immediately the next sentence, you are my friends. No greater love than any man happen he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. Judas came up to him in the garden and kissed him, his friend. And he was arrested because Judas had betrayed him. They went to the area where they were all gathered to do the trial and Peter was standing around the fire and Jesus' friend, Peter, his friend, when asked a question, you know this man, don't you? You're one of his friends, aren't you? No, I never knew him. Denial. There he is, he goes through the trial, and on the cross he looks around at all that's there, and there are only two people who love him there. John and his mother. Actually, there were some of the other women as well, weren't there? There were some of the other women there as well. But in the foreground, we have John and his mother. The guys, his friends, had gone. They deserted him. Betrayed. Denied. Deserted. He was dying for them. And they denied, betrayed, and deserted for us, looking at that situation, I guess probably we would take the view, well, that's hopeless, isn't it? If I can't, these are the guys who've been with me for three years. I've imparted of my Holy Spirit into their lives and into their hearts. These people have been here, they've seen the miracles, they've walked with me. If they cannot stand, what hope is there? What possible hope is there? But Jesus endured because he loved you. Because he loved you, he kept on. But it, of course it doesn't stop there, does it? And we have my second nail. I'm going to put on the table. I was preparing for this session and I'd like to return in the account of the crucifixion to Mark 15:33. It's also recorded in Matthew's Gospel. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken I know that Jesus knew physical pain. I know it, you know it. But do you know what? There's a bit of a conviction in me that the physical pain did not compare to that. On the first time I spoke to you about the love of Jesus, I talked to you about an eternity 
in the love and fellowship of the Father. An eternity knowing the grace and wonder of relationship. The beauty of it being in fellowship together. And he was on the cross and it went black and he knew he was alone. Not just from his friends, but from that relationship that he had known. At no time in the Gospels, I can't find a time in the Gospels where it records Jesus crying out in pain. Here it does. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was in pain from that loss of relationship, of fellowship. He was alone in a way that we will never know. He spent, I spent the whole morning talking about harmony, unity. Jesus actually came into this world so that you would know that same relationship. And at that moment, he didn't have it. He's separated from it. I have to, I know, uh, and there are people around this room, if you've been uh, widowed or divorced or in a relationship and that has gone, you will know a glimpse of what that feels like. That sense of absence, aloneness and silence. And then my third note. The last great barrier, the last great enemy, death. And Jesus came to it. He came to that moment and faced it. Now, slightly ironically, I don't think there are many people in this church community who have seen as much death as I have as a chaplain. Um, I don't say it's a boast in any way, shape or form, but. The reason I mention it is the fact that having experienced and seen that much death, I can assure you that death is the absence of life. You say, Tim, come on. No, I mean it. It is the absence. If, you, if you've lost a loved one, you will remember their joy, their energy, their hope, their dreams, their everything, and suddenly, wham, it's gone. Forgive me, I know that's incredibly painful. There's so many people around here, quite a lot of you, who have lost. But Jesus came to that moment and he had been what? He is life. He is life. Isn't he? I am the resurrection and the life. He is life. All things were created through him and by him nothing was made that has been made. He's life. He breathes life. He is life. And then, at that moment, he can see it coming towards him like a great wall. And as he comes to it, he shouts out again. I'm going to use English, just me, Tim. Done it! Achieved it! Won it! Victory! It's accomplished. The whole of the cosmos, the whole of history, the whole of everything revolves.
It is the moment in human history around which everything else turns. Everything before was death for us. And everything after is life for us. And if you do not know that life, or if you're wondering, uncertain of where you are in all of that, then let me assure you, he offers you life. There is no more perfect moment in history than this one. This one moment in all the universe defines the love of Jesus. In this moment, Father holds in his hand. It's that which he, he measures us by. Yeah, it is. He, he defeated sin and he defeated death and it was counted to us as righteousness. It's a moment that the Holy Spirit uses, I believe. It's the very definition of peace with God. You can't get a more complete act of selfless love than that moment. It was only Jesus who could ever have done it. Another time, if I had time, I would love to just explore with you the idea about why that moment in history was the only moment it could have happened. It is astonishing. It wasn't coincidental. It wasn't. It was ordained by God for that moment in human history, in that place, at that time. And he did it. Saved through everything, absolutely everything, to try and make him fail. And he failed. And Jesus won the victory on the cross because of that moment. I was uh, preparing again for this morning and came across uh, a, uh, a teaching session given by a good friend of this church, a guy called Nadim Nassar. He's a Syrian priest. And so he's from Syria and he is facing and seeing the agony that his uh, brothers and sisters in Christ are facing even now. And Nadim uh, preached and he took his thing from 2 Corinthians 8. Would you turn to 2 Corinthians 8 please? If you go to verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. He talked to David about how the, the, he talked to the Syrian Christians going through the horror that they're going through, the persecuted church. He talked about the fact that this, these verses were as much for them as they are for us. Astonishing verses, aren't they? And they are actually what I've been talking about today. I asked you the question, the same question the dean asked. How in this that passage was Jesus rich? Okay? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, how was he rich? Not rhetorical, something you want to say. How was he rich? Because he had no relationship with the Father? Sorry? Okay. I'm obviously not succeeding very well this morning. He had no. That was his rich. Yes? 
he was rich. How did he become poor? He lost the relationship. He became poor. Why? So that we might become rich. I'm reading it again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through your poverty you might become rich. Amazing thing that I remember about what the dean said was that for those persecuted Christians in the Middle East, they could take everything from them. Islamic State could take everything from them. All their goods, everything. They could take their very lives. But they are still rich because of what Jesus did in becoming poor so that we might be rich.